Hello there and welcome to the podcast. It's John Markar here and I thought I'd just jump in with a very quick but very important message that I wanted to share with you before you delve into this episode of the Driven Chat podcast. This podcast, the Driven Chat podcast, has now come to an end. But don't worry, I'm not going to stop you from listening to this episode or from catching up with the 185 episodes that we've recorded in this format. I just wanted to let you know that if you're looking for our new episodes recorded after December 2023, then you'll need to seek out our new podcast, The Driven Podcast. You can find The Driven Podcast in all the usual podcast platforms, including, chances are, the one that you're listening to this one on right now. So please do enjoy this episode, share it with a friend by all means. But when it's done, don't forget to search for the new podcast, The Driven Podcast, and subscribe to the new format to hear the new stuff. To make life easy, head on over to the Driven website via driven.site. There you will find links through to the new podcast, including links to your preferred podcast platform. And hey, whilst you're there, why not check out everything else we do, including hand-picked automotive news stories, car and bike reviews, video features, and even more. For now, though, I'll let you enjoy this episode. And I will remind you again at the end of the episode, but for the future reference, this message is approximately 1 minute and 30 seconds long. That's six clicks on the 15-second skip button. Enjoy. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, my name is Seb Inglis-Jones, and I am the co-founder and co-CEO of Maving. Uh, we are Britain's first electric motorcycle manufacturer, and we are based in Coventry and make all our bikes here in the UK. The Driven Chat Podcast, powered by Paramex Digital. Hello there, and welcome to this week's Driven Chat podcast, the penultimate episode of this podcast. More on that in a bit. If you're hearing that message for the first time, don't panic. There is, it's, it's not the end. There's more coming. Uh, but I'm saying hello, and as you've just heard there, we are this week talking to Seb Inglis-Jones, who is the uh, co-founder of Maving, a, an electric motorcycle company. And I'm delighted, Seb, because on the very rare occasion... Uh, we're recording a podcast where I've had to travel a very small distance. Our office <laughs> is just on the other side of that dual carriageway out of this window. And, um, yeah, thanks for being so local. That's a pleasure. So do you have the pleasure of looking at us literally across the carriageway? Can you see the name? Not quite that close, no. no. But our, pre- our office was next to your previous outfit, so uh, we have seen on the road many times Mavings being uh, ridden around, I'm guessing, on final tests or sign-offs or some sort of exciting process and that, yes or, or, or not so exciting process we have some um, amazing people whose job it is to put just you know hundreds of miles on the bikes per day just to build up our data sets and they are incredibly patient whatever the weather they're out there um, riding around so um, yeah it Brilliant. might just be that excellent it's worth pointing out as well despite being so local uh, we're here recording this episode on a day where you have quite literally just moved in, haven't you? This is quite exciting. So you'll notice, dear listener, that we might have a bit of an echo in this room. That's because we're in an office which I'd imagine in a matter of days is going to be flourished with all sorts of motorcycle paraphernalia and great sound-absorbing objects. <laughs> but until then, uh, it is a bit of a blank, empty space. But you've just given me a bit of a whistle-stop tour of your brand-new facility, which is amazing. So... Tell us what, firstly, what's prompted the move? Yeah, it's really, it's really exciting. Well, first of all, you're, you're, you're totally right. I mean, t- two hours ago, I was uh, having minor bickers with my co-founder about where we were going to put our freshly built desks in our in our <laughs> new office. So it really is. It's day one um, of the move, um, and this is this is essentially just. Um, we, we've been bursting at the seams at our previous um, unit where we, we we built up our production capacity to make about five bikes a day. Um, but but really, that was as, as much as we could manage. And we had, you know, components um, kind of, um, as I say, bursting at the seams and, and stock sitting in different locations. It was becoming a bit um, unwieldy, even though it already seemed like a pretty big 
space to me, given mm. that we, you know, it wasn't that long ago that I was working with my co-founder in our, our living room uh, in a little flat in uh, in London. Um, but yeah, this 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 factory is the kind of is, is our home for the for the foreseeable future, and it's it's just significantly increasing our production capacity when we look at our international growth. Brilliant stuff. Well, we'll get into the details of what this factory and this space is going to be used for soon, no doubt. But before we get there, one of the things I like to do, as you may have heard, I know you've listened to one or two of these episodes before, is we like to build up a picture of you and find out where this world might have started. So can you tell me, Seb, a very early core memory, something perhaps as a small child or perhaps even a young adult, an occasion or a memory or something that might have switched on the pilot light that's ultimately got you to the seat you're sat in right now? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I, um, I've always been into cars and bikes, um, but never in a... In a um, I would have loved to have had a parent who was a sort of mechanic mm-hmm. and to have learned how to actually build and, you know, take things apart. And I'm, I'm very ashamed to say that even now, being in the industry, I still have to uh, ask other people to do things uh, for me. I'm terrible when it comes to maintenance. Um, so, so I've never been a tinkerer, but my first, I've always, I love uh, driving, love riding, love looking at, you know, cars and bikes. And I was thinking what was the first thing that got me excited um, about cars and bikes. And it was when I had, I think my parents had round for, for dinner, um, a friend who, um, generally speaking, my parents, I think all their friends had like old Volvos and, and you know, little Vauxhall Astras. And suddenly there was this gentleman who came around for dinner and he had a uh, brand new, I think it was a, it was a Jag, it was a, uh, an XK. Uh-huh. And, and, and my mum sort of knew that I was vaguely into cars. And this, I must have been like seven years old yeah. or something like that. Um, and the guy offered to take me for, for a drive. Uh, in in his car and and he uh, this is in Clapham tiny streets and he took me you know on a, on a rally circuit essentially around <laughs> Clapham I was strapped in the front I never experienced anything like this and I was abs- I was thrilled absolutely loved it fell in love with that car I mean I don't I don't I'm not convinced it's a beautiful car now but I just that first kind of exhilaration of 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 being in a car and, and enjoying it um, and. I, I, I'm definitely not a sort of thrill seeker at all, um, but the, it's one of the few arenas in which I feel very comfortable and kind of unfazed. It's behind a, uh, yeah, behind the, the, the wheel of a car, much to the dismay of my of my mates and the nine points that I've got on my license at the moment. But um, so yeah, just you know, from that moment, was absolutely hooked on on, on uh, driving cars, and then I think since then fell in love with all sorts of kind of classic, you know, classic cars, cars and bikes. I, I became, I think it was when I saw, must have been when I saw Gone in 60 Seconds, became mm-hmm. fascinated, as I think everyone was in that era, with uh, the 1967 Shelby GT500. Yep. Uh, and actually, I remember, it wasn't that long ago, I passed a, a dealer in... Shepherd's Bush, and they had a they had a black one with a with a, with a red r- racing stripe down it. And I was I was actually at the time about to place a deposit on my first little flat, and I genuinely thought maybe <laughs> maybe there's a world in which I just buy this car and I run away. <laughs> that was that was that was it. Um, start um, using the man maths and going. Well, I, I saw a headline that property prices may be dropping, so now <laughs> yes, maybe it's yes. a better time to buy the car first, run it, that for a year, and then get the property. It, exactly, it's only going to go up. You know, this is a classic. <laughs> there's, there's you know probably two thousand in the world. You know, it's a sensible investment. Um, you know, before you obviously wrap it around a tree. Um, but I just that, that that car was actually the first car that really mm. got me. I think James May says fizzing. Um, yeah. But um, and then in terms of bikes. Um, I think it was when I was when I was 19. I was traveling around the world uh, as, a, as a lowly surf instructor, and I spent a bit of time in Thailand. And that was the first time I, I think I presumably lied about having a license and rented a, a you know 250 Scrambler and, and, and experienced a bike Great. for the first time. Um, and, and then actually subsequently spent you know months sort of riding around um, Indonesia. I spent three months um, on a surf trip with my co-founder riding around right. um, Indonesia. So that that was my first, and that wasn't on a glamorous bike you know these are on little 125 cc geared yeah. bikes that have been maintained for years but um yeah that, that gave me the riding bug brilliant stuff brilliant stuff i do love hearing the stories where you kind of get that moment or you you hear about that moment where somebody says or maybe even just thinks at the time oh i get it now because you do you have people that have that vague interest in cars or motorbikes and you know, for me i was a late bloomer to motorbikes i didn't I was driving 11 years before I'd even considered doing a CBT. 
And I remember doing my CBT, running around on a motorbike for a bit and going, oh, I'm not really sure about this. But then one day something just clicked and I went, oh, I get it. <laughs> I, I see why this is such a big thing. And it's always great hearing those stories from, from other people as well. Definitely. It's worth saying, actually, that I, I also was, was a late bloomer on bikes because it was the one thing that my mum made me promise that yeah. I should never... Uh, yeah, I think, that's, I think that's a pretty common experience. And so clearly I, I felt that I had to start a motorcycle company in order to, 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 to get around that loophole. But um, uh, yeah, so no, I was also late, a kind of late bloomer on bikes. Um, I do think it is the best way to learn, though. I remember getting some fabulous advice probably about the time that I was getting my car license. So I would have been about 17 or 18. And it was a family friend who did ride motorcycles. And he said, you have to promise me one thing, that you won't try and learn the road on a motorbike. Learn it in a car totally first. Totally agree. And totally agree. bikes come later. And it is the single best bit of advice I think anyone's ever offered me in terms of driving on the road, because it all makes sense. I know that there are people that go out there and jump on the bike first thing and learn that bit first. But yeah, there, there is a better way. I, no, I totally agree. I mean, but also just from a kind of... Um being a bit more mature, you know, the first thing I did when I got my driving license at the age of 17 was to hop in the Nissan Micra um, that I, you know, that I had at my disposal and to, to try and see if I could do a handbrake turn around <laughs> a, uh, you know, around a bend in Somerset where my parents are based. And I, and I, you know, obviously that is not a car. It's a front wheel drive Nissan Micra. It's not designed to drift around corners. And um, luckily the, the verge that I ended up on pretty quickly was soft, but but you don't want to be in that kind of headspace if you're getting on a bike no. for the first time. I think it's better to learn those, those you know, or, or sort of gently front-end someone in a car <laughs> yeah, before, you, before you gently front-end someone on a bike, which is not, you know, it's not, the, not the right thing to do. But, I've, you know, and I guess because of that, I've, I've never had a, an accident riding. And, right. you know, I guess you just do drive, sorry, ride more defensively. Absolutely. Yeah, very, very true. <clears throat> so talk to me about Maving then. And um, uh, afterwards, I'm going to pick your brains on how it all started. But mm. in a summary, let's say, obviously, I know about the product. I have a Maving sat at home right now, thanks to Potsky Media, who sorted that one out for me. So I've got a bike. I've got the little uh, R1M sat outside my house. <laughs> RM1. RM1. <laughs> Which stands for removable, removable battery one, incidentally. Ah. Very oh, I simply. didn't know that. Well, that's, that's, now I can never forget it. Um, so I've got one sat at home, which is really cool, really exciting. It looks fantastic. And but uh, so, yeah, I've got a bit of an advantage, I guess, in knowing what the product is and what it's all about. But let's imagine you're meeting somebody for the first time says, right, who, do you, who are you? What do you do? And, and what is Maving? How do you answer that question? Yeah, so well, well, look, we're, we're Britain's first electric motorcycle um, manufacturer, and I'm, I'm proud to say currently the best, the best selling, which is, you know, which it's a pretty nascent market, so mm-hmm. you're dealing with a relatively small kind of set there. But, um, and we, yeah, we, we basically hand build electric motorbikes in Coventry, um, and the thing that sets them aside, um, I guess, from maybe conventional EVs and from, from other bikes in the market is that they have removable batteries that you can take out and charge at a standard socket mm-hmm. and the whole the whole sort of point of that is that the, the number one barrier to ev adoption is charging infrastructure and the kind of inconvenience of charging um, and the, the, the reality is that you know 80 percent of the people in this country live in, in cities or urban areas mm-hmm. uh, the average commute is about 6.7 miles you know most journeys you're doing uh, in, a, in a town or a city in a rel- relatively short distance on your own mm-hmm. and so you actually first of all you don't need a big SUV or an electric SUV yeah. um, so we're big kind of I guess evangelists for the idea that two wheels is a good solution just just you know generally and that, and that much like southern Europe and parts of Asia you know more people should should choose um, two wheels as their number one form of transport Appreciate we've got some bad weather here, but but um, you know we're, we're an optimistic nation. I think we have more convertibles here than any other that's true. per capita, don't we? Yeah, that's true. Um, but but sorry. So so given all of that, you you can actually have a, a kind of battery that is uh, small enough that you can take it out and charge it in a standard socket. So um, you'd use your bike throughout the week, and then you get to maybe a Friday, take the battery out and you charge them overnight. Um, yeah yeah, you know just sort of as you would do a phone, absolutely, um, or at your office or at a cafe. And so, um, uh, yeah, it's it, it just, it just a kind of completely different way of looking at the whole EV space, really. Fabulous. The, the, uh, the great observation that a few mates of mine have had have popped around and seen it is the, uh, it, it, a bit like a power tool. You take the battery off your drill or your saw, whatever you're using, you put that power pack or the battery into a little power pack charger. Once it's charged, it goes back into the tool and off you go. Exactly. And to me, 
it seems to make so much sense. And I think a lot of people, let's say the EV skeptics out there who are saying, oh, you know, it's not going to work. And if the battery dies, we're going to have to take the car apart and that's going to cost £70,000 or more. Arguments which, you know, some of them are aren't quite factually correct, but I understand why people feel the way that they do. So to finally see a product where the battery is removable and easily removable, because it's the click of a button, something opens up and it slides out, just like Mm. it would do on a power pack on a drill, click it into your charging point, it makes so much sense. So why do you you think other people aren't doing it like that? Yeah, it's it's interesting. So first of all, I'd say that... um, I'm really look I've, as we've just been talking about. I've, you know, I've grown up a, a, a petrol head. I love. I can't deny. Mm. I love petrol bikes. Love um, petrol cars. And I, I'm a kind of firm believer that that you're only going to get people switching when you've made something which is genuinely better, competitive. It you know it makes yeah. sense versus its uh, internal combustion engine counterpart. And so I do not begrudge a lot. You know, the, the millions of people out there who go, no, I need to do 500 miles in my van, yeah. or I need to do X, Y, and Z, and I can't. You know, there's not an electric alternative, or I won't pay the 30 percent pre. You know, whatever it might be. Sure. Um, and and I think you know one of the reasons why certainly in the in, in the in the the motorbike space or the kind of two wheel space people haven't been doing that is because the example that's been given to us is is plug in vehicles and also the, the simple fact of the matter is that you, you it's very hard to make a full power electric motorbike at the moment or scooter that that is competitive with or can replace at this moment in time a full power petrol touring bike for example yeah. with, with a with a car you can just put loads more batteries in it. And it doesn't matter that it weighs two and a half tons because it goes 0 to 60 in three seconds. Yeah. On a bike, you can't do that. You, know, if you can't put 300 kilos worth of batteries in. You know, people will fall over, it's not safe. Mm. So you, you're, you're dealing with a sort of space claim, which is just different from that of a car. And so the, the companies, um, dare I say it, that have kind of tried to make plug-in bikes, which are you know, expensive, maybe can only do 60 or 80 miles and then need to be plugged in mm-hmm. for an hour, you know, whatever it might be, uh, you can understand why people are not adopting those bikes. Absolutely, yeah. However, in the kind of low-power CBT 125cc category, where you are, um, you know, you're, you're driving, you're riding across London, you know, 5, 10 miles or, or whatever, you know, Manchester, whatever it might be, mm. there is a very good reason to go electric because... If you use removable batteries, you only have to cover those distances. I mean, bear in mind that you know our bikes can go seventy miles per hour and Absolutely. cover eighty miles of range. So you, you you can very much do a week's worth of commuting, and then you just take the battery out, and it costs you like seventy p to charge. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I I guess it doesn't seem duplicitous to me that you might have a kind of petrol car or van or whatever it might be for long distances or for carrying greater loads mm. but at the same time appreciate that you could do 95% of your journeys on a little electric you know e-bike or scooter or motor whatever it might be so I, I think in the first instance it's about understanding where electric makes sense and is genuinely competitive and compelling yeah. um, and then and then ultimately, you know, us all, I suppose, slowly adopting it because it is the future and it is, you know, there's obviously, the, I mean, the reason we started this business is because of its effect on the planet. Mm. Um, but but I, I, I would never try and tell, you know, all my fellow motorcyclists out there that they should replace their GS, you know, 1200 GS or something like that. It's just not, that there isn't an electric motorbike out there that, that's comparable. Yeah. But in this sphere, it's it's compelling. Absolutely. So let's talk about then the early stages of the company and the the trigger point to getting it all started really. What was it that made even the idea of building a small electric motorcycle a thing? Yeah, well, so it's worth saying that just despite what I was saying about, about always being into to cars and bikes, um, which is true for me, by the way, not, mm. not so much for my co-founder. He's a, he's a recent um, convert um, and is, is now becoming an expert. Um, but it's actually quite good because he's, he's coming at it from the kind of consumer who's never, never you know, been into bikes. Absolutely, yeah. Um, but we, we, we met at uni and we, we decided sort of pretty early on that we wanted to start a company to, together. I can sort of go into our um, compatibility a little bit later. But... Um, and, and so for us in the first instance it was about how do we how do we combat climate change because that was what we thought this is you know this is the biggest challenge I guess of our, of our generation um, and if you're going to devote your whole life 
um, you know, working late hours in an office, starting a business, which is stressful mm. to say the least, then, you know, it, it, it's helpful to know that you're doing it for, for you know, for the right reasons. Um, and so, so we, we, you know, the plan was right. We'll, we'll, we'll leave uni. We'll go into our respective careers. We'll build up a bit of a CV. We, you know, build up some expertise. Him in finance, me in marketing, because mm-hmm. um, that's just our sort of natural skill set. And then we'll kind of we'll, we'll quit in five years' time, let's say, and we'll 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 start a business and we'll, we'll find out what it what it's going to be. So um, that, at this point. You haven't got a, an actual vision of what that Not business might be. Just a business. A business. Wow. Climate change. That's that, that cool. was it. That was the blank slate. And then when the time came to to quit, um, which which we did, and we went through this whole period where we kind of did little odd jobs to sort of you know keep ourselves alive um, and and kind of look for what it was that we wanted to do. And I guess if you're if you're not a if you don't have an en- engineering bone in your body and you're not a you're not a physicist you're not a chemist whatever it might be mm. you're not in a position to solve you know the the big really challenging technical problems of things like carbon sequestering and concrete production you know whatever it might be. Yeah, yeah. Um, conversely, the world of transport and electrification is is you know it's been it's been talked about for quite some time. It's quite well mapped. Mm-hmm. The idea of electrifying transport, decarbonising the grid is kind of, you know, we can, people like you and I can wrap our heads around it. Yeah. Um, and so you naturally, it was quite natural to look in the, in the transport space. Um, obviously, you've got, you know, companies like Tesla and Rivian out there who mm-hmm. were kind of um, those, those sort of unicorns that set, set yeah. a, bit of a bit of a vision. But, um, but one of, what we didn't expect when we were looking um, at that space was that the countries or the country with the highest rate of... EV adoption was China, and mm. it was in a two-wheel space where eighty percent of, of riders were riding on electric. Wow, eighty! Yeah, and, and everyone was talking about. I think it was Norway at that at that moment. You know, uh-huh. Norway I think had just passed fifty percent electric new sales, and yes. it's in the in, in the car world. And everyone was going, "Wow, that's you know, that's incredible!" And suddenly here was this you know whopping great country that that people weren't talking about, who had already clearly undergone some. Um, some sort of revolution, mm. um, uh, you know. We and we were sort of fascinated by that. And, and when we looked into what it was, it was all lightweight scooters with removable batteries, yeah. um, as is sometimes the case in, in, in China. They they uh, um, they change rules somewhat overnight, and <laughs> industries have to adapt pretty quickly. And basically, over over about seven years, that um, you know they'd outlawed um, to, to, to more or less an extent um, p- um, petrol vehicles in. Cities because of the air pollution in you know cities like Beijing and, and oh. Shanghai and um, so what people have basically done was like get in, they'd taken their Honda Cubs or whatever and they'd hooked up little lead acid car batteries <laughs> and sort of seven years later they developed an entire industry of 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 you know bikes and scooters with removable batteries and had had basically leapfrogged this whole infrastructure charging infrastructure challenge that is basically the centre of the debate mm. in in the West. You know, it's all about how many fast chargers can we put on motorways, and, course, and you yeah. know, it's that kind of thing. So, so you go over to—I don't know how much time you've spent in cities like Shanghai, but you go there, and it's just millions of people riding around on on these silent, you know, electric scooters. Just you know, the lights go green, and, and mm. they all just take off, and it's peaceful. And it, it but but it's um, so that that was the kind of inspiration for um, for the business. And and originally we thought, okay, well, you know, we'll just import a bike from China. Um, and sort of long story short, the reality of all the products out there is that they're just they're built to a much lower price ceiling, and they have a different set of concerns around quality. Basically, they, they're, they're the, the the longevity of the products, um, and and to some extent, the kind of heritage is not is not front and center. Mm-hmm. And so, um, even the best products out there just 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 aren't broadly aren't really going to satisfy your, your European customer and you know people yeah. here in the UK. And then. Conversely, in this country, we have a huge storied history of motorcycle design. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's one of the kind of few um, areas of industry that we're genuinely renowned for, you know, globally. Mm. So eventually we thought, right, we'll, we'll do it ourselves. We'll, we'll make, we'll start a, an automotive company from scratch. We will get the best engineers that we can, that we can find in the country and we'll build the bikes here. Um, and then, yeah, that was the, that was the beginning. Wow. That must have been fairly daunting, I guess, especially reflecting on that heritage that we, you're right, we have, you know, you think BSA, you think Royal Enfield, you think Triumph, Norton, Triton, there are just so many 
brands that the global motorcycling, motorcycling world think of when they think of Britain or England. And so to then come along and say, right, let's tap into this market, but as a brand new company, a new logo, a new badge that perhaps people haven't seen, was that terrifying or did you kind of think, no, do you know what, I think we could be on something as it's a bit different? <laughs> uh, look, I think all entrepreneurs probably need like a combination of um, uh, complete determination and optimism but also blissful ignorance yeah. I think if anyone if anyone was to appreciate actually quite how challenging it was <laughs> to do you know whatever business particularly hardware that they're going to start mm. they, they might not do it in the first instance so no, so no but I guess it's kind of one step in, in front of the other yeah, yeah. so you know, we, we, we sort of came back from having invested about a year in, in, in um, China and think, you know, this sort of first iteration of the business and we were slightly tail between legs because that hadn't, that hadn't worked out. We thought all that work was at the spout. But then we went through this kind of process where we spoke to a friend of ours who is a engineer. We kind of drew out on a big piece of, you know, parchment paper roughly what the process would be to building a prototype, getting investment. And, and I guess... Um, well, to you, it obviously, might look like a building site right now. But you know, I, I look around this 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 much bigger factory now, and I go, yeah. "This is this is flipping exciting!" And look yeah. at this this amazing team. But obviously, in the first instance, it was just you know me and my co-founder, and then it was us and and five engineers, and then it was in, and every step was you can sort of imagine how we got there. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, as I said, there have been some absolutely horrendous. Look, we we begun our fundraiser a month before COVID. Oh, wow. We then basically negotiated all of our supplier terms in the midst of the supply crisis. <laughs> we launched our first product just as, you know, Russia invaded Ukraine. Yeah. And then our, the, the whole period that we've been selling bikes has been, in, you know, in the midst of a kind of cost of living crisis and, um, and, and, and a global recession. So it's, it, the timing has been, <laughs> has been tricky. Um, and, you know, there are some horror stories of bits, you know, parts getting stuck in various parts of the world yeah. and, and all that. But... but um, if you were a spiritual person that perhaps relied on signs, maybe you'd think, perhaps this isn't the time. <laughs> Again, I think that's the, yeah, you know, the sort of the, the dogged determination of the entrepreneur, misguided um, optimism. Yeah, no, it, it's, um, it's, so I, I'm certainly really kind of proud of, of, of the progress when I look back on it now, but, it, but it's, but, but I was also proud when we were standing in a, in a, a much smaller shed and I was telling our um, head of um, production that he needed to build a log cabin as a, as, you know, as a meeting <laughs> room because it was four grand versus a 15 grand prefab meeting room, you know. So yeah. I, even in the first instance when it was just a small team and we were building our first, you know, pre-production prototypes, it felt like a huge step from me and Will working in the living room of our flat in council building an elephant and castle. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Love that. So then talk to me about some of the major chapters, because obviously the space that we're in now is substantial. This is a what was previously a, um, was it a storage facility or did they do some work here on bikes as well? Uh, this was a dealer, a, a dealer distributor. Right. Yeah, yeah. So they had, to, yeah, that was that was actually why we um, picked it out was because it was sort of all already mapped out nicely in terms of stores and production and kind right. of, you know, what was their workshop is now our pre-delivery inspection area and mm -hmm. so on and so forth. Yeah. yeah. So it's almost... I mean, location as well. What are the chances that you've managed to find a, a second location essentially over the road? If you were good at golf, you could probably hit a golf ball <laughs> yeah. from one site to the other. But you found this perfectly motorcycle-friendly facility where... So I'm guessing here you're going to do absolutely everything from bringing in parts for, for the builds to the physical builds themselves, to the distribution, exactly. everything in-house. Yes, yeah, no, exactly, precisely. So, so, so you know, um, as I was saying, if you come back in sort of a couple of months, you'll have a, a, a long production line, right. um, building our, our old and new model, um, and um, yeah, everything here. And, and again, because we're direct consumer, the vans that are parked outside will be taking bikes to customers around the country. And um, there's also that uh, the, um, big trailer as well out front, which is um, which will take our, our bikes, our European bikes, across the border. Excellent. So it is. It is. It's a very. It's really lovely. We had a. Um, I think how, how was he? It? It was a 93 year old gentleman who got in touch with us. He used to be a test rider for Francis Barnett for one of the old oh, wow. British marks yeah. and he said please I, I love the design of your bikes I'd love to just come and see your factory mm -hmm. which is based a kind of stone's throw from where I used to be 
Um, and, uh, you know, can, can, can we do this? And he also wanted to ride a bike as well, which is, which is quite fun. I think he hadn't ridden for 17 years, but we wow. managed to make it happen. Sure. Um, but he, he came in and he said, oh, wow, this, this feels familiar. You know, this feels a lot. And he showed me this, this scrapbook with photos from, you know, production lines of the kind of 60s, 70s. Right. Um, or 50, I, I can't remember when it was that yeah. Francis Barnett came to an end. But, um, and it is, it's, pr- it's pretty similar, you know. I mean, it, it's pretty familiar. You've got bikes rolling along a production line being ham. Um, built, you know, assembled here by our, by our, you know, relatively small team. Um, meanwhile, our engineers sitting up upstairs working on the next bikes, and you know, it's very. Um, uh, there's a certain charm to it, I think. Yeah. When, when you, if you think of, you know, the giant Nissan factory, and you've got machines, you know, piecing everything together, it is. It's very much not that. Absolutely, you know? yeah. Um, In a town yeah. which is renowned for exactly this, isn't it? You know, Coventry is a is a city that has been at the forefront of automotive construction since the birth of the car, really. You know, you've got um, Alvis, who the, the Alvis factory was just down the road from here. You've got Jaguar Land Rover down the road from here. You've just got so many engineering companies and gearing companies. It seems to be a real hub in the centre of the country. Completely. And look, it's no secret. I mean, we, we, we moved here quite simply because we regard Triumph as the best example of, you know, British British um, motorcycle design and, and production. And we wanted we wanted to get the best engineers. So our head of, head of um, product was, was Triumph's head of product, a guy called Graham Gilbert. He's exceptionally talented. And it, it just is the place to be, you know, for, for motorcycle engineering um, and a lot of other... Um, automotive engineering projects, but it's. I think it's telling that you know we were talking about Ola a second ago. Mm. Ola, you know, this is a India's the biggest bike market. You know, yeah. it's huge, and the, the numbers over there versus. So it's worth saying when I when I when we started this business, there was two hundred ninety seven or ninety three electric motorbikes and scooters sold in total in this yeah. country. Same year in China, it was over twenty million. Oh wow! Um, and India is now the India's already the biggest bike market, but it's now got the biggest growing, you know, fastest growing EV. Um, scene and Ola is a, an example of that. You know, it's been around for a few years. Um, they're already, you know, in the sort of position where they're selling fifty thousand, you know, their new scooter in the first week and that kind of thing. But their sort of design headquarters are here; they're That's just right. down the road, yeah. and they clearly value that that the the expertise you know that's around here. And I think. I think if you're driving around Coventry, you might not think it's the most beautiful place in the world. You might not be thinking, here's, you know, there's a, there's a sort of rich history here in the way that, I don't know, I haven't been to Detroit, but I imagine it's a bit more obvious that it's one of the great Absolutely. car building yeah, centres. Yeah. Um, but lo and behold, tucked away in all these all these units around here, there's extraordinary um, expertise. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's a, it, it is a remarkable thing, and it's something a lot of our international listeners, some of whom are actually quite aware of it, think Formula One, you know, the forefront mm-hmm. of motorsport in the world is the one that everyone knows, whether you're a car person or not, you know what a Formula One car is, and the vast majority of them, again, are within about 40 or 50 miles from here. All the teams, the cars are built here, engineered here, tested here, and then go off <laughs> to represent yeah. brands from all over the world. It's 100%. Incredible. And the only difference is that from the outside, they look like, you know, sheds and concrete, um, yeah. whereas in other parts of the world, they're sort of beautiful design <laughs> yes. facilities. But on the inside, you've got, yeah, not just all that expertise, but actually amazing facilities as well for um, testing. I mean, you know, when we arrived here, the amount of support that we've had from whether you know whether it's the local government with loans or whether it's people saying we can use their their testing facilities or their tracks you know whatever it might be there's a lot of stuff here that is incredibly helpful to someone trying to uh, navigate the world of starting an EV company for the first time brilliant let's cut to a really quick advert break and then when we come back I want to explore the models that you've got so the uh, the existing model the one that's coming next and get a bit of a bigger vision about where this company may be heading. We shall be right back. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. The Driven Chat Podcast. And we are back. John Markar here, here with Seb in the brand new, one-day-old headquarters of Maving Motorcycles, which is really, really exciting. So, Seb, you've done a fantastic job of building up a picture of you and how this all started. So I guess we should probably start talking about what the factory is actually putting out onto the road, what the reception has been like from customers and from buyers, despite launching in perhaps... I'm sure we will look back on this period of time as being one of the most difficult times to A, launch a company, let alone try and sell anything. Uh, because we are, as you said, as you quite rightly said, in a, a, a cost of living crisis that's affecting just about everyone in the world. So at the point of getting the first product ready, once you'd decided, right, this is what our bike's going to look like, this is how it's going to work, it's going to have removable batteries, how did the public react? And how did you go about getting that product from the ideas board to rolling into people's homes sure well look, I, I, the first thing I'd say is because because the sorts of British bikes that are really popular and, and we're, we're sort of renowned for are those kind of cafe race you know the 60s 70s the James Dean Steve McQueen kind of mm. thing um, it was it was really important to us that we brought that kind of heritage with us into yep. our design um, n- not in a kind of stuffy resto mod way um, mm-hmm. necessarily but but just just the, the the kind of the the you know the naked shout that we didn't have sort of lots of extraneous plastic but everything was really pleasing to touch you know lots of exposed metalwork that kind of thing um, and I think that was because a bit of an antidote to um, that trend in electric at the moment which is making vehicles which are overly futuristic mm-hmm. and maybe in the process um, and I get it you know to sort of to differentiate them from from the petrol models. Yeah. And I think that there's just a, there's a risk that in doing that you you lose a little bit of the, the, the heart and soul. You know, for example, having a whopping great LCD screen. You know, we work quite hard to convert the analog signal into a digital sorry the digital one into an analog so that we can have a nice old simple speedo. Yeah, you know, it tells you everything you need to know, but nothing you don't. Um, and as I said, that was a kind of antidote to, to the to the really futuristic models that were being thrown on the market, um, and also to the more kind of plasticky scooters. So we wanted to. Um, retain that kind of British heritage style, make the bikes really pleasing to touch, really focus on quality. That was that was a big um a big point for us. Um and uh I've lost my train of thought. Where was I? Okay. Oh, oh then, then how do we how yeah. get um so so we, we kind of drew up this I I did some um some pretty rudimentary concept sketches in the first instance, looking at different kind of eras of motor. Mm-hmm. So we also looked at the kind of 20s, 30s, the board tracker era where the first British bikes were basically being productionized from bicycles. So they, they were quite course, sort of yeah. simple, slender frames with these very small engine blocks and very kind of elegant. Yeah. Um, and again, pr- you know, predominantly used for, for urban riding. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so, so I drew out all of these kind of bikes and we, and we sort of fixated on a, on, a, on, a, on a few different styles that we put into a brief um, Will basically pulled together a powertrain, you know, cleaned himself up on motors and battery packs. Got a got a sense as to the sort of power spec that we that we needed. Um, took that to an, sort of went through a bit of a tendering process with design consultancies and um, and eventually built the first prototype, which we used for um, for funding. But um, uh, yeah, and then and then brought on the team and and you know productionized the piece. It's, it's worth saying that design to people like me usually means kind of the what you see you know yeah. the a surface the outside 99 percent of the design is everything that goes on inside Absolutely. and our <laughs> incredibly experienced engineering team and we've got one guy on the team who's been designing motorbikes for 43 years wow. um they are responsible for all the nooks and crannies and all the, the mechanisms and and you know everything that actually makes the bike work and ride well right um but but yeah. So at the point that you've got your your first product, the, the 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 bike that resembles what's going to be going up for sale, what people are going to be putting deposits down, the bike that people might be seeing at shows, what was that first reaction like? So I, look, it was really it was very positive, and I think I think we th- when we stood back and we saw the first kind of um, production um, bike, we I think we felt that we made something that was beautiful, and we felt. In, intuitively that 
there would be people out there who would just love it and would, would want it because of its looks. Yeah. But I think we, were at, we, we, we felt when we launched at, at, at Motorcycle Live, the biggest UK motorcycle mm. show, that actually there might be a bit of his hostility from the, the motorcycle sure. fraternity. And it is a fraternity, you know, it's yeah, 90% yeah. male. Um, because these are people who are more than the car world passionate about bikes. They're real hobbyists. They are... You know, these are people who are a lot more engaged with the sector than, than the average car buyer is the yeah. car. Yeah. And we thought um, they're going to hate us. We're electric. We're new. Um, uh, as I was saying earlier, you know, there are good reasons why you might be a bit disappointed with the kind of full size sure. of, um, electric bikes at the moment and not want to switch. Um, but do you know what? We were actually, re- it was received really well. And I think that was in part down to the design, mm. to, to, to the fact that we, we, we were sort of representing this. British heritage design, um, and that it was actually built here. I think that was really yeah. important. I think there was a kind of shared sense of pride that that we were one of the first European manufacturers in the space, Absolutely, and that yeah. they were all actually being built here. You know, there was a sort of eyebrows raised then when we re- when they realised that we were. You know, this is a show that's in Birmingham, mm-hmm. and they realised these were built just down the road, and that the team were you know former Triumph engineers or, or from 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 companies that they recognised. I think that was hugely helpful for us. Um, also the fact that we um, weren't trying to replace their big bikes we were saying look this is a, a kind of cool addition to your existing yeah. fleet as it were yeah. which um, is a normal thing isn't it I think that's a, another comparison between car owners and car passionate people the difference with bikes because they are a bit more attainable they are mm, yeah. you know, in most cases a quarter of the price of what you might be spending on an equivalent desirable car so a lot of bikers have two or three bikes so the yes. idea that this might be another bike in their collection seemed to make perfect sense. Yeah, bikers are a lot more, um, you know, they, they, they have a, a touring bike and they've got yeah. a kind of street bike and they've got a, um, a, a, a 90 sports bike for whizzing around on the weekends. It's a little bit more segmented in that sense yeah. um, as opposed to having a car that takes you A to B and, you know, if you like driving a bit, you want it to be a bit more powerful than mm. a Vauxhall Astra. But um, so, so I think the, the, the idea that we were going, look, we're not... We're not asking you to ditch all of that. We're just suggesting that here is now a city runaround that is going to be easier to maintain, more affordable to use, and you know you're, you're doing the planet a bit of good in the process. So I think that 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 sort of sell was was compatible with mm. the existing passion and, and kind of sentiment in the room. Yeah. So so I think we were surprised to to find that we were well received, um, and to this day. Touch wood. We've all the reviews that we've had have been really, really positive. Um, you know, as, as far as I can see, and, I, and I, I'm really, I'm, I'm very happy for someone to challenge me on this. But I think we are the best reviewed electric motorbike in the world. I haven't seen a better mm. bike review. Um, the, I think the only bike that comes close is the the Harley Davidson former Harley Davidson Livewire, but that's a you know thirty grand bike. Absolutely, yeah. So I, I think we've I think we've made something that really works for mm. for the for the, for the um, arena in which it's been designed. Absolutely. So yeah, let's talk about that first product then, because you set out not to take on the big power bikes, not to try and reinvent the wheel in the in the sense of right, let's try and make a big fast electric bike. Because some companies have some. Mm-hmm. There are plenty of manufacturers out there that have gone for the electric sports bike look and. It's not quite perhaps sold in the way that I think a lot of these companies mm. were hoping it would um, for various reasons. As, as you alluded to early on in our conversation, the fact that you to, to make them fast and have a long range, it needs a big battery, therefore it's heavy. That's immediately counterbalancing what a sports bike should be. And then, of course, comes down to the charging times, having to find somewhere to plug the thing in. If you're going out riding with your mates and you're all on 1,000cc superbikes and you're the one on the electric bike, they're going to take... Five minutes to fill their tanks whilst you're going, right, I'll catch you up when this is done in eight hours. Okay. You know, it's, it doesn't really work. But with what you set out to achieve, it that was never going to be an issue because, of mm. course, you're making a commuter bike, essentially, something that's relatively low power, relatively low speed. If you're living in a city or a town and you're commuting a short di- distance every day, it seems to just work perfectly. Mm-hmm. So at what point... Well, let's talk, let's talk about the first bike first, actually, because that is the important one. Hmm. What were your goals to achieve with that? Was it to, as you said at the beginning, try to steer people away from the little twist-and-go petrol scooters, or was there more to it than that? So I think, I think it, look, it was, it was to, as you said, unashamedly make a bike that was designed for urban hmm. travel and to be the kind of best at that. Yeah. So um, you, you're, you're a rider, you're 
probably know what it's like trying to duck and weave with a with a you know with a GS. Yeah, so yeah. Talk about that earlier. It's not ideal. You know, there, there's a very good case for um, scooters and and 125cc, 250cc bikes mm-hmm. in town. You know, with relatively low saddles, so you can put your feet on the ground. You know, all of that stuff makes it easier to manoeuvre um, to manoeuvre yourself in, in in cities that have relatively high kind of congestion. So so we wanted we we're always going to make a bike that was small and it was going to be light and that was going to help with the range and, mm. and, and so on and so forth. Um, we we also specifically wanted to inspire people who actually have never thought about owning a motorcycle or scooter yeah. at all to to enter the category, i.e. to not necessarily be a bike that exi- that, that, that that is designed to convert existing ardent petrol head riders who you know will live and live and live and um, die on a petrol bike but but actually to to show a lot of let's say um young urban commuters who you know might be fed up with being sort of stuck on the, the tube in london might be fed up with paying i don't know 200 pounds a month for their oyster card yeah. um and maybe looking at e-bikes or maybe looking at just alternative forms of transport that there is actually an electric vehicle mm-hmm. for them um which might serve as an entry point to the two-wheeled space so we, we you know there's about 115 thousand new motorbikes and scooters sold in this country every year but there's probably and i'm plucking this number out of thin air half a million people in london alone or manchester alone whose lives would be benefited from having a you know a form of two-wheel transport that can get them across that city in 20 minutes ostensibly Mm. so for us it's really about bringing more and more people into the into the two-wheel category Mm -hmm. and as i said trying to trying to show people what you know what is well known in southern europe and asia which is that actually um you know scooters and bikes can be the the, the most sensible form of transport um they are fun to ride they are affordable as i said it's like you know 70p a week for your yeah. commuting versus a couple hundred quid you know i mean even mm. our bikes are like 90 quid on finance yeah, yeah. Um, a month um that they are reliably fast because you're not stuck in traffic um and they're obviously clean you know there's there's a it, it's probably relatively easy to understand that it's a lot better for the planet to make a small vehicle than a big vehicle so it's always going to be better to make a a little electric motorbike than it is a big suv electric Mm. suv um but right down to the kind of emissions per mile per capita it's just you know it's we got a third party study um done and it's less that our bikes miss emit less carbon per capita per mile than even the london underground Wow. So, so th- th- there's lots of lots of good reasons to yeah, get yeah. people onto two wheel transport. Um, that was a, a long winded winded no, answer to, to your to your to your question, but but yeah, I think for us the it's, the big mission is about trying to trying to give people uh, an opportunity to trial two wheels. Absolutely, and it's worth mentioning as well that the the bikes are rideable with a CBT, which is the entry level license, isn't it? You can go pay whatever it is now eighty ninety pounds for the day or two course stick some L plates on that's yours to ride then as simple as that absolutely and you know twist and go mm. um, bicycle style brakes yep um, so it, it's it's incredibly familiar you know you can go from kind of zero to hero very very quickly yeah um, and again they're sort of super lightweight relatively low saddle height so they're good for small people tall people mm-hmm. um, so it was really just trying to make biking a bit more inclusive <laughs> than, yeah, it, yeah. than it is currently that's it so the first bike relatively low power low speed 45 miles an hour top speed yeah 45 right? miles per hour 80 miles with two batteries or you yeah. can have one battery 40 miles um, you, you're able to either use a single battery and use the, the, the what looks like the fuel tank for mm-hmm. 10 litres of storage so you can put your you know shopping change of clothes whatever it might be in there yeah. or you plug the second battery in there and then they run in parallel Brilliant. and you can decide you can sort of make that decision on a weekly basis so you might go right for this trip I just want you know 40 miles 10 miles of course uh, I'm going to use that for my shopping alright today I'm doing a slightly longer trip I'm going to plug the second battery in yeah um, and there's a clever bit of software that we've developed which basically will Will dis will, will basically run one battery down until they're both at the same rate and then discharge them together. Got it. So that they don't sort of discharge each other and damage each other. Yeah, I love it. I, I love the idea. You know, it's a while now since I've uh, lived and worked in central London for for a, a good stint of time. I was commuting from my home near Wimbledon to an office in Notting Hill, and some days I'd get the tube. Other days, because I'm a maniac, I'd drive my car. <laughs> And I think back now, I think God, if there was an option then to have something where I could just hop on as a, a bike or a scooter, 
electric power back and forth because of the removable batteries i like the idea of perhaps having a, a charging pad at the office and the charging pad at home that way you know you're never going to get caught out you can mm-hmm. have one in each place it just seems to make so much sense and I, i'm sure that for the majority of people that are buying them that live in cities like you know big cities like london birmingham manchester edinburgh it kind of makes perfect sense it it, it it cancels out, as you say, for all those other reasons, including the cost of getting the tube or jumping on public transport or driving your own car if you're a maniac like me. It, it, it's very difficult to try and work out why you wouldn't want to do this. No, definitely. And just, I, just on the charging point, it's interesting because there's so much conversation about range anxiety. And, mm. and I think most people tend to equate that with the range that a vehicle can do. Yeah. And actually, I would argue that range anxiety is more about charging than it is about the range. Because, um, look, for example, I mean, it used to be the case that mobiles had about five days' worth of battery. That's right, yeah. Do you remember, yeah. the, the, remember the glory days? Good old Nokia. <laughs> um, yeah. Good old Nokia. And people were furious when suddenly your, your phone could only do two days. Yeah. And then they were furious when, yeah, well, I mean, I don't know, an iPhone can probably manage two-thirds of a day now. That's right, yeah. But actually, people aren't furious. And the reason is that, that it's, it's people's charging habits that have changed. You now have a charger at home, you have a charger in the office, and you don't think twice about it. You just plug it in. That's it. Yeah. And so what's changed is charging habits and similarly if you can just take the battery out and you can charge it in a standard socket and you could theoretically do that in your office or a cafe or whatever you you don't need to be concerned about range in the same way that you you would do if you were um using that vehicle for long motorway stretches and sure. you know your delivery van and, and you need to do 500 miles in a day yeah so it, it, I, I can't stress enough how that Removable battery technology is the key to unlocking this space for yeah. now, with, with sort of energy density as it is. Um, but as for you know biking more more broadly, um, yeah, I mean, I, as I, as I said to you, I I, f- I first justified getting a bike to myself because I was doing I was working in Slough and I was cycling to Paddington, train from Paddington to Slough, company shuttle bus to the office. Mm-hmm. Something would go wrong, you know, every week in that yeah. journey. Obviously, a train would, would you know, be delayed. Um, and I, re- and I, I worked it out. Um, of course, I just wanted a motorbike, but this yeah, is how course, I rationalise yeah. it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I said, I was like, <laughs> look, if I, if I cut down my commute by half an hour, um, then I save 26 days a year in commuting time. Wow. And th- that, you know, so, so I sort of knew that when I bought the bike. But what I didn't realise was that every day the alarm would go off and instead of being miserable, I'd be f- excited like every day to ride the bike because it yeah. is so much fun. Yeah. And it's so satisfying, not zooming 70 miles per hour legally through a city, but just, just passing all the traffic. Yep. As you say, the nutters like yourself that are sitting in a car <laughs> in, you know, in zone one. I mean, it, it's just, and, and you're reliably getting to the, to, you know, to, and this is, look, this is, True of bicycles as well, to some extent. It's obviously faster on a bike, but the minute you get used to the idea that you can know for certain that you're going to be in the office 20 minutes after you set off, yeah. it's a game changer. Absolutely. Um, and and I think uh, you know public transport is 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 struggling. You know, the, the, it, it's a lot more busy um, than it used to be, and certainly through COVID, everyone kind of decided actually. I don't want to be That's pressed right. up against yeah. somebody else, um, you know, necessarily. Um, so I think, I th- you know, that was that was a huge boost to the to the um, e-bike market, and you know, there was a massive boom in electric motorcycles and scooters as well during that period because people kind of went, actually, I'd rather have my own form of transport. Yes, but that doesn't mean a car because it's a, it's a city. That's it. Yeah, absolutely. So then, talk to me about the the next chapter. So that that first one's clearly worked. The buyers have come in there many thousands they've bought them loved them used them and then a lot of people like me then saw the design and went god that's a cool looking bike i have to get myself on one of those i want to try it out and then saw ah top speed 45 miles (laughs) an hour Mm, probably not going to work immediately for me i live just out on the border of the cotswolds so therefore every road around me 60 mile an hour so thinking okay that's a a bit daunting to suddenly jump on something like that and of course if I want to go and see my family in London or ride around then perhaps it's going to be a little bit more difficult however then comes along the announcement that there's a new bike that does (laughs) 70 miles an hour and also still has an incredible range of 80 miles where you can remove the battery and plug it into a pad and then carry on so the reaction to that must have been amazing and what was it that spurred that on was that always the plan to have a higher power bike or was that something that you thought 
okay, we need to probably start thinking about how we make this a bit quicker. No, it was, de- it was definitely always the, always the plan. And, and to some extent, you're dealing with energy density and you're, you're looking at you know, the, the, the benefit that comes from battery cells improving and what you can you know, feasibly achieve mm-hmm. with bigger motors and bigger battery packs, et cetera, while still making something you can take out and carry. Yeah. Um, but, um, but I think the thing that was really solidified for us was, you know, there are, there are various routes that we could have gone in terms of the design you know, bench. There's other things that we could have introduced, but mm-hmm. the message loud and clear from um, prospective customers was love the design of the RM1. Yeah. Just want it to go a kind of highway capable speed, basically. Absolutely. You know, I, as you were just saying, I live on the outskirts of a city, or I have an A road that I need to, mm. to be on for a short period of my commute. Whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, so, sort of love what you're doing, but but please get back in touch with me when you're making something that, that just enables me to, to to sort of go that step further, or, or opens up the number of roads that I can use that's it and I think also you know over and above that um, we, we, by limited you know, there, there are plenty of our customers who go why would I ever need to go so many miles per hour mm, I'm just true. using this, this, this bike for, for riding around town you know I live in Bristol and you know, I've, I've got my car for longer journeys and I've got this for Bristol um, but there are also plenty of people who go no I want to be able to go to Box Hill on the weekend or I want to be able to to, to, to do these other things and, and so it's a you're asking me to make a little bit more of a kind of discretionary purchase um, when, when I buy something that's capped at 45 miles per hour. So it, it was basically just answering that call. So what? So the brief was right. We want to try and make it as close as possible in looks to the RM1. Yes. So that single bobber seat that's my favourite bit of the whole bike. Yeah, it's lovely. Um, you know, all of that. But we just we but we want it to, um, to to increase its capability. So double double the the, the power and, and increase the top speed to 70 miles per hour. Perfect. Um, and and what that just means now is that people who live outside of city centres and whose commutes might involve you know a few miles on a motorway or, or a road stretches that they can now have access to zero emissions riding if they want. That's it. Um, and yeah, that the reception to that bike has been really great. Yeah, I can um, imagine. And for, for me, it's the answer because my commute is the A46, which is yeah, 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 yeah. 100%. A, a good 19 uh, miles of dual carriageway. And I think also, you know, people like you and me have been riding a little bit. Um, you, you might be used to a little bit more power, and of so course, it's just yeah. you know, you know, there is a difference between riding something that's more like a 125, yes, or something that's more like a 250. It's just, it, it's just a little bit more kind of yeah, a little bit nippier if you're used to that kind of thing. It's still, to be clear, very much a. Uh, a small, you know, city-oriented bike, as far as we're concerned. Yes. but it's just got that bit more. Yeah, capability has the capability. Absolutely. So, at the time of recording this, we are a week or so outside of Christmas, twenty twenty-three. Uh, the bike itself, the new bike, the S, that's coming out for customers next year, isn't it? So yes, yes. So, we, so we've been taking orders in there. They'll, they'll be built in the new year and, and delivered from uh, from March. Fantastic. So, not long to wait. That's that's really no. Exciting. And and I, you know, I suppose we think about it in terms of the the riding season. I mean, because yes, these bikes are mainly used in in urban spaces that, yeah. that's less relevant because it's flipping uncomfortable riding two hours on the motorway in mm. two degrees it's not so bad riding five miles in, in a city yeah absolutely um so the the riding season is a little bit less of a thing but, yeah. but as you know a lot of people will 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 put a cover over their bike over yeah. the christmas months because it's absolutely it's a bit chilly yeah indeed indeed well i'm really excited to see uh, the new bike even more excited to have a go. Hopefully, I'll, uh, I'll with the, the lovely team at Potsky Media who sorted out the the current um, Maving bike for me will uh, will be able to hook me up with a new one when it comes out because that'll be really exciting just to just to do exactly as I say, commuting back and forth to the office, and I think will be absolutely brilliant. So then, of course, the inevitable question that you know I'm going to ask is, what comes next then, <laughs> and what is the the idea of the vision? You know, we've we've mentioned things like touring bikes and sports bikes do you think that's ever going to be on the horizon or you have you decided that you know what you're focusing on you know what works and it's just a case of refining that it's a good question because i look i think the answer i think the first the, well the first couple of things i'd say is that we, we um we don't want to be a you know a niche British brand. We we want to drive as much progress in, in in terms of electric adoption around the world. So we are you know one of the big things we're now focused on is our international expansion. And so we do want to be one of the big players driving change in this sector and um, to be renowned on the on the international stage. And and I and I've always said. Uh, and I'll say it again that we want to make bikes that cater you know for, for all use cases. Sure. I think um, we'll always focus 
we'll always be working with the technology that's available and obviously progressing it, but but making, as I said, bikes that are truly, that there's a truly good use case for them versus their petrol pounds, um, counterparts. And we think the sweet spot right now is urban areas, removable batteries. And so we will not progress beyond that before the technology enables us to make really compelling bikes in those other spheres. Yeah. Um, but... but I guess the interesting thing is, um, to, to some extent, the kind of sexy end of the the, the sector is the, the you know the, the performance end, mm. you know. But it just really is reiter- worth reiterating that you know eighty percent of people live in urban environments. Yeah. Most people are making small journeys, and so it, it's important not to get too captivated by the kind of. Um, by, by that maybe slightly more glamorous sort of yeah. side of the market, but it's actually yeah exactly. But you know before it's ready or, or, sure. or when actually it doesn't, it's not necessary. It's it's not the thing that's going to drive change. Yeah. yeah. Um. So I think we'll proudly remain in. I'm going to call it the less sexy side of the performance market. No, I disagree. Um, I, I I still I think there's a very the product itself is so. It, it's so exciting. It's so unusual. And I think if somebody had said to me even two or three years ago, imagine an electric motorcycle designed for commuting I wouldn't have thought it would be anything as good looking as the product you've got definitely and to be clear I, I'm, I'm perfectly big headed when it comes to ones <laughs> I think I, I look I, I, we, good. I'm, I'm delighted to say that the likes of um, MCN I can't remember who the other um, was but the, you know, the two biggest motorcycle reviewers they, yeah. they both said we've never had more attention on any bike Absolutely, including yeah. petrol bikes than on this bike and yeah. I'm really proud of, I, I think we built something which is Beautiful, and I and I like to think that there are lots of people who are just switching to electric because it's you know it's beautiful and they love it and they genuinely would choose it mm. um, over any of its petrol counterparts. I think when I say less, set, I'm just purely talking about the um, the kind of performance Got it. specs. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, so uh, will you see a kind of hyper bike from us in the near future? The answer is probably no. Mm. Um, but but I think will we continue to to sort of drive progress in this field? Um, when it comes to bikes that are genuinely really compelling in, in, in terms of urban commuting and beyond, then yes, absolutely. Um, and I think you know, slowly building building up a lot more um, expertise in driving progress when it comes to motor technology and batteries and, and you know all of that, all of that kind of thing. I think you'll see some some pretty exciting stuff from us that's in great. the future without giving it all away. Yeah, no, that's 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 really exciting and I think you're right we're in this fascinating time now where we are seeing the technology the curve of advancement is just huge at the moment isn't it you know Mm. battery technology cell technology motor technology it's just growing at a rate that's just fantastic which needs to happen it needs to happen across the board for the big transition from internal combustion engines to EVs in the in the world of cars in the world of trucks in the world of vans and of course in the world of motorcycles mm. and for the more fun stuff as well so yeah exciting stuff really really looking forward to seeing what those advancements do for the Maven product moving forward as well no definitely and I, I also just I you know I, I again as someone who loves I was growing up loving petrol cars and, and bikes, and still I still drive a little Mazda MX-5, which I, like, I to this day say is one of the funnest cars you can possibly yeah. possibly drive. Um, and I love the gear change, and I love that you know I love you know that that, that is a car, however affordable, which has been designed to be enjoyable and engaging yeah. to, to to drive. Uh, but I do believe that electric will also sort of um, surprise and delight people in that sphere as well. Yeah. It wasn't that long ago that I was. Um, um, racing is the wrong word, but riding a, um, um, a live wire and, and the new Del Mar around um, the Malibu canyons in LA. And it was just, it was such an exhilarating ride. And it was exhilarating in ways that are different from, from kind of petrol counterparts. And so I, I, I do believe that um, more and more people will view electric as, an, you know, as exhilarating and bringing mm. something to the table also in terms of the ride and the experience. Yeah. Um, yeah. Perfect. So watch this space, I guess, is what we're saying, isn't it? Watch this space. If people aren't following, then make sure you already are. I'll include all of the links through to Maving in the little bio. So wherever you're listening to this, if you scroll down, you'll be able to see all the links to the social feeds and the website if you want to learn more. And I love the fact you you hinted there um, a little while ago at the affordability of these and I need to be careful because it's you know this isn't an advert for Maving but it's always worth pointing out when you can get a really really good looking motorcycle that could potentially tick all the boxes of what you might need for less than 100 quid a month on a finance deal that's that's pretty good isn't it I mean I think I pay more than that for a phone which is very upsetting (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, that's a good. That's a that's a. I've, I've not drawn that comparison. I fear my bill's close to that as well. Yeah, it, no, it is completely, and that, and that is we really cared about that. You know, I think it's all very well making um, electric vehicles, which are, I suppose, designed. A sort of hype, you know, hypercars, but whatever, whatever it might might be, and are designed to kind of push the field forward, but they're just not attainable sure. for, for most people. And you are still paying a bit of a green premium in terms of the at the purchase price, but genuinely, with with our bikes and with similar bikes that do sort of a relatively similar thing, you, you're the cost saving, particularly with petrol as it is right now, is is tremendous Absolutely. over the life cycle of the bike. Um, and I, I, it really mattered to us that we were making an EV that was attainable. Um, and, and, and made people feel that they could sort of choose to make that kind of conscientious purchase without breaking the bank. Yeah. Um, and I'm, again, proud that we've done that whilst, whilst making it in the UK. Yeah, and, and the ambition fine. is very much to, to, um, to bring, I mean, at the moment, 65% of our components are made here, which is pretty unusual in the automotive world. But we want to get as many you know, parts made here as well and really champion the kind of British engineering piece. Brilliant. I like the idea that perhaps... 20 or 30 years from now, as we all do, as often if you meet a petrol head car person, motorcycle person in a pub or someone like Caffeine the Machine, you might say, oh, what was your first car? I like the idea that 20 years down it might be, what was your first EV? And a lot of people, <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of people will say, oh, it was amazing. It was a little, you know. That, that's the dream. Isn't that cool? Wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> Uh, this has been great. Thank you so much, Seb. It's been fabulous learning about it. It's been fabulous to see your factory in its absolute infancy, warts and all, uh, which makes it sound like the company's brand new. It's not, but this is the, <laughs> the evolution, the fact that you've had to move to a stonkingly massive premises, which is currently under construction. You might have heard there, dear listener, throughout our recording, some the sounds of uh, racking going up and <laughs> pallets being dragged around, but uh, it's all part of the... Um, part of the story which is really really exciting and um, i look forward to coming back when it's all finished and yeah, having please, a proper look no, around please do and it won't be won't be long as well come back in a month or two yeah. and uh, it'll be a very different space but no it's been a, an absolute pleasure john brilliant thank you so much um, and as for you dear listener as i say if you want to learn more about the company scroll down have a look at the show notes below you'll see all the descriptions the links and everything else there um, as well as that of course i've got one of these bikes on test right now and i am riding it over the winter months uh, because, as I've alluded to, I'm an idiot. I'm a maniac. Why would I wait until the summer? No, let's do it in the winter. Uh, so I'll be writing a review of that, and you'll be able to see it on the website. That's driven.site, where you will also see, as I alluded to at the very beginning of this episode, the news that this podcast, the Driven Chat podcast, is coming to an end. This is our penultimate episode. Next week's episode will be our last ever. But if that's causing you all sorts of emotional distress, don't worry. Go and visit the website click the little banner that you'll see very easily and everything is explained there. That's all I'll say. For now, I'll say thank you for listening. We will be back next week. And finally, thank you again, Seb. It's been great. Thanks. The Driven Chat Podcast, powered by Paramex Digital. Life's better with American Family Insurance. Because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit amfam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Oh, wow, you've made it to the end, the very end. And it's John Markar here again, reminding you that this podcast, the Driven Chat podcast, has now run its course and has come to an end. To find the new format, search the Driven podcast in your preferred podcast app or head on over to the website driven.site to find some quick and easy links through to the new episodes in the new formats on your preferred apps. Thanks. Bye.